today we're going to continue through the preaching series on unity as a church family. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture today that oftentimes when we read it or we hear it, our first response at what Jesus says might be actually to gasp. <gasps> because he says something that we initially think sounds very offensive to his mother and his brothers. And uh, we think to ourselves, no, perish the thought that Jesus said something like this. And I hope and I pray that today, as we look at this passage, um, I'll, I'll be able to share enough with you uh, by the grace and the mercy of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that you no longer read or hear this passage with a gasp, but rather with, uh, yeah, I get it. And so uh, this is a passage of scripture where Jesus puts a very high valuation on the family of God or the church, a very high valuation. And as we read it, I think that most of us feel like too high evaluation. <laughs> I think that as we read this passage, uh, our natural inclination internally will be to say, oh, Jesus is putting too high evaluation on the family of faith. But I hope to explain that Jesus is not putting too high evaluation on faith and that we understand that, and that, that helps us understand even better how significant this relationship is here in this room. So, reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, hear the reading of God's word. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, would be found pleasing and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kevin DeYoung, a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, writes this. One of the acceptable idolatries among evangelical Christians is the idolatry of family. Now, interestingly enough, DeYoung is a married man with eight children of his own, so he obviously isn't anti-family, personally. He explains further what he's trying to say theologically when he says, a commitment to family must not come before a commitment to God. And he continues, according to the Bible, the family is good, necessary, and foundational, but not ultimate. I find DeYoung's comments provocative and unsettling to myself. Why? 
Because according to some surveys of Christians over the last several years, when asked, what are your highest priorities, the family actually scores higher than the church family. Honestly, if I had been surveyed over the last several years, even as a pastor, I would likely have listed my family as being a higher priority than my church family. And that is why I find DeYoung's comments so unsettling, especially since I think many of us would think that we aren't wrong to value our family and blood by marriage and birth more important a priority than our church family. But then we read Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. And I find Jesus' comments about who is his mother and brothers even more unsettling. That's because Jesus uses his mother and brother's arrival and the seeking of his attention as a platform upon which to redefine his followers' understanding of family. Upon coming to faith in Jesus Christ, according to Jesus, our head discipler, family for us is no longer solely based on ancestry. Sorry, Ancestry.com. <laughs> family is now based on accepting and obeying God's word as taught by Jesus. When Jesus' family arrives, they are impeded from walking up to Jesus by the crowd that is seated around him listening to him teach. And the request of Jesus' mother and brothers is for him to put his teaching on pause and come outside the home he's in and speak with them now. Mom is pulling rank on Jesus to some degree. Jesus at this moment feels that this is an occasion where he needs to tend to his church family before engaging in conversation with his mother and his brothers. It's my conviction that Jesus' attitude would run counter with a lot of American Christians. Jesus, in this account, which is repeated in two other Gospels, is clearly putting a higher valuation on the church family than the biological family. In the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, and Mark, in all three, this account is repeated of Jesus being summoned by his biological family, and in all three accounts, Jesus boldly proclaims that his truer family is comprised of those who are hearers and doers of the will of God. Now, to be entirely forthcoming in the Gospels, we find a myriad of proclamations about family. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus actually accuses the Pharisees of violating the fifth commandment to honor one's father and mother when they permit children to pledge 
their wealth to God rather than to the care of their elderly parents. Then, to show an opposite view in Luke 14, Jesus makes this statement that appears to be an even graver violation of honoring your father and mother when he says in Luke 14, 24, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, while this verse sounds very offensive to us in the 21st century, it would have been significantly even more offensive to the ancient Mediterranean society Jesus was instructing back in that day. Because you see, in that era, the survival of your bloodline took priority over personal ambition. Loyalty to family was of the highest importance in the time of Jesus and considered by many as your most important personal virtue. Now, let me make a point plain and clear. Jesus' statement about who his mother and brothers are in Luke 8 isn't an official disavowing of his mother Mary and his brothers relationally. After all, we see that as Jesus is dying on the cross, he has concern for his mother Mary's welfare as he asks John, the disciple, to take her into his home as if she were his own mother. And we know that several of Jesus' brothers become disciples after his resurrection. And even one of them, James, succeeds Peter as the head of the Jerusalem church. That would likely not have been the case if Jesus had rejected his brothers. We should rightly assume that Jesus lived the entirety of his life as a faithful son to Mary and a loving brother to his brothers and his sisters. So what is Jesus really trying to impress upon us in this particular account where his mother and brothers want him to come outside and talk with them? I believe Jesus is making it clear that as his disciple, you now have two families you belong to. You have your natural family, and you have a faith family. And yes, Jesus puts a higher valuation on our belonging to the faith family. Jesus is establishing that our higher loyalty is not to our biological family, but rather to our faith family. Living in a society at that time where biological family reigned supreme, Jesus wants to teach his followers that faith family for them now actually reigns supreme. Now, I do not expect that even when I am following Jesus' instruction 
on the supremacy of faith family over biological family, that there will be any closer relationship I will know here on earth than the one I have enjoyed with my wife for 27 plus years and counting. And the bond I feel with my children will be closer than the bond I know with many members of the church family. That being the case, Jesus is still asking me to prioritize my blood-related family under the overarching rubric of God's family. And here is a very important point not to be missed. If I share with my wife and my children a sincere desire to hear and obey the word of God, then all together we are still receiving from one another the highest level of loyalty. All together, we are bonded more closely together because of our shared faith in Jesus. And we should therefore be committed to one another, not on the basis of birth or name, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for each of us. If my bloodline family is also my faith family, then they are, as my faith family, still valued as the highest priority. The Apostle Paul introduces to us the theological doctrine of spiritual adoption. I will read some biblical texts on his teaching about spiritual adoption in a few moments. However, I want to begin with a general theological proclamation on spiritual adoption through Christ. And it comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, where it says, Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. You see, God desires for us to be members of his family. You and I are desired by God to be his sons and daughters and to enjoy the full privileges of his fatherhood. This becomes possible for us through Jesus living the life of obedience we couldn't live and through his dying, the death of our, for our sins, that we weren't worthy of dying. As forgiven sinners, we are welcomed into the family of God. And almost as shocking as our primary text today is what we read in Hebrews 2.11, where it says this, So now, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. That's so shocking because it, it insinuates that we have as much inclusion and status in the family as Jesus himself. Those who believe in their hearts that Jesus is their Savior and profess with their mouth 
that he is their Lord, are not merely acquitted of their sin. That would be wonderful in and of itself. More than standing acquitted, we, through Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, stand now as the sons and daughters of God, fully adopted children of God, siblings of Christ, joint heirs with him, and co-regents forever in the kingdom of God. This is why Paul teaches adoption and does so when he writes this verse from Romans 8:15. For you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. When my children accept Christ as Savior and Lord, they now have the right to cry out to God, the God of all the universe, because he is now their father. And he is so much more of a faithful father than I could ever be to them. My children, having been adopted into God's family, would I want to be in any way coming between them and God? Would I want to in any way come between my children and their brother Jesus? Would I in any way want to come between my children and their rightful inheritance as the children of God? No. <laughs> I want my children to be more eager to proclaim that they belong to God's family than to proclaim that they belong to the Birchfield family. I assure you, they are guaranteed a much more abundant inheritance in God's family than they could ever receive from ours. David Garner writes on the Gospel Coalition website a wonderful essay on the doctrine of adoption. You need to read all of it. Here's one of his summary quotes that I think perfectly sums up why Jesus wants his followers to put a higher valuation on church family than on natural family. He writes, The glorious contours of adoption for the family of God offer resources that are as sweet as they are spectacular. Forgiven and sanctified saints are the adopted children of God, adorned with royal familial privileges, interminable comfort, and stunning glory. I want my family to benefit in the way described by Garner because they belong to God's family. I want my wife and my kids to know the glorious contours of adoption and all that being in God's family offers them. Jesus' teaching from Luke chapter 8 tells uh, all of us in this room something vital. Through faith in Christ, we belong to the same Father, are jointly siblings with Christ, and all of us are eternal heirs of God's kingdom. 
Our spiritual ancestry is the same. And through the waters of baptism, we are bound together for all eternity as those who have been cleansed of our sins by the blood of Christ. All of us in this room, through our baptism, are blood brothers for all eternity. What does that tell us about where our priority ought to be towards one another as those who encourage each other to hear and obey God's word? It should tell us that we belong to one another more than we realize. And that that should lead to having a greater sense of loyalty to one another than we have ever demonstrated. May that be our prayer this week. Please join me in prayer. God, we come to you, our heavenly Father, and we are your children by adoption through the work of Christ, your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that through your work, we can call you brother. And we thank you, O oh God, that you have given us your spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance, as co-heirs with Christ, as co-regents in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that our desire runs deep and strong to be loyal to our brothers and sisters in the faith. And Lord, I pray that that keeps us loyal to our bloodlines as we strive to do everything that nurtures in them the desire to profess their belief in Jesus so that they find themselves in the family of faith. So that our loyalty to them is still our highest priority, not because of blood, but our loyalty to them is our highest priority because they are our fellow heirs in the family of God. Jesus, Help us to be those who are welcoming more and more people into your family by means of the spiritual adoption that you provide through the way of the cross, the empty grave, and through you being seated on the throne in heaven above as your spirit fills us and does your work here on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.